Every doctor is concerned about your vital signs, but a good doctor cares about your overall health. Your website deserves the same care, and Hey Check It is here to help. Hey Check It is a website performance monitoring and optimization tool. It goes beyond just core web vitals to give you a full picture on how to optimize your website to give your users a happy experience. It includes AI-generated SEO data, accessibility scanning, and site speed checks with suggestions on how to improve and a number of various other tools to help you. Start a free trial today at HeyCheckIt.com. Hey, welcome back to Software Social. I am super excited um, to have a guest with me this week. Um, it is Matt Wensing, who is founder of Summit, which is a uh, tool for financial modeling. Um, previously, he was founder of Risk Pulse, which was acquired in 2019, which was an enterprise SaaS. Uh, also, the co host of Out of Beta, Matt, welcome. Thanks, Michelle. <laughs> I'm really excited to be here too. Uh, I'm a listener and I just love it. So this is fun. So I have been wanting to talk to you for a really long time. Um, <laughs> and there is one tweet that you sent out in particular that made me really want to uh, to talk to you. So in January, you tweeted out some notes you had taken from customer research that you did for Summit. Um, and you were working with what the Jobs to be Done world calls the forces diagram, um, which is basically this diagram we use to show the different pushes and pulls and anxieties and habits people have around the tools they use and why they might be looking for something new, but also why they might stay with what they're doing right now. Um, yeah. And I am so curious to hear kind of like how this came about and how you have been using customer research as you explore summits. Um, so yeah. can you kind of like take us back in time mm. to when you first started researching summit? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So it's funny that there's actually an overlap here between even knowing what jobs to be done and forces of progress is and that initial research. So I attend the business of software conference each year um, in the States. So there's one in Europe and the States, but every October um, in Boston, uh, folks get together, um, at least pre-COVID and cross fingers soon. Uh, and Bob Moesta is a regular speaker there as well, who is um, not sure, the godfather of the forces of progress um, yeah. framework in, in a lot of ways. And I just remember being this is probably, oh man, time's flying, right? So let's just say five years ago. I wanted to say three. I'm like, no, it's not three. <laughs> it's probably five years ago. I listened to him interview an audience member, kind of a mock customer interview live about purchasing a car. And the way that they were able to take a dialogue and really parse it into a framework that you could then take away from that and then keep doing that with more and more conversations. It just, I was like, okay, this is definitely a tool that I need to add to my tool belt. Like this is, this is amazing. What's interesting is then fast forwarding to summit, like by that time in the history of my previous company, I was doing sales, um, enterprise sales, mostly it wasn't doing a lot of customer research, at least in terms of the 
early sort of genesis of the product. So I don't know that I got to use it a lot back then. It was mostly just listening to like, we did do enterprise deals where there were custom features involved, but really I got to use it fresh. You know, when you're a second time founder, a lot of times you're like, oh, I'm going to do this the right way this time around and actually use more tools and framework, things I've learned. And Forces of Progress was one of those. So I wanted to build this tool to do financial modeling, but that is such an ambiguous target that I knew I needed to figure out the value proposition. What does that really mean? What do people want? And so funny enough, I gave a talk at Business of Software. It was a lightning talk in 2019. And I kind of used that as a launching point. I didn't frame it as, hey, I'm selling a product because I didn't even have a product. Yet. I had a, <laughs> a little prototype, basically. But I used that talk to share really the problem, socialize the problem space, if you will, talk about hey, this is, this is a challenge, isn't it? Like, this is a pain. Here's a little tool I made to kind of deal with that pain. And I really try to draw some business lessons out of it. But really, at that same time, I started to have conversations with potential customers and prospects. And as they talked to me, I started to catalog or file their feedback into these different kind of buckets, right? Kind of the tool that I had learned previously. And yeah, I, I just kind of did that every you know few months would kind of refresh my understanding of what they were saying and built up this um, this list organized list of feedback which I guess I'll put a bow on it and say it really I think helped me understand the product strategy like what did the product strategy need to be for me to go into this space that was otherwise very nebulous like how do I have opinion like what should my opinions be about the tool and what it needs to do, right? Mm, it's really, it's really interesting. You use basically that talk as sort of a, oh, I guess, sort of in a way, sort of what Patrick McKenzie would call a friend catcher to mm-hmm. attract people <laughs> to you to talk about the problem. But then, because you had that experience with the forces of progress and with um, seeing Bob Muesta speak, well, by the way, his, his book, uh, demand side sales actually has real customer interviews in it that are all broken down by the forces. And it's like, it's so good. Like it should be on everybody's shelf. Um, mm. and then, but you, you were able to process that. And I think that's so important because sometimes there can, it can feel like there's this gap between, for, for people who are new to research of how do I go from talking to people to actually designing value? And mm. how do I figure out, okay, I've talked to these people. I know what these problems are. I know what I'm interested in. But then what is the product? And it sounds like you were able to bridge that. So I'm curious if you can kind of dive into when you went from this point of understanding the problem space, socializing the problem space, you kind of had a prototype, but like how did the prototype sort of snowball with that and how did you figure out where it was valuable? Yeah. So to put a timeline on this, this was what you're describing now is essentially the journey from late twenty October 2019 through probably April or May of this year. So, you know, almost uh, almost two years, essentially. And during that time, I released multiple versions of the product, really knowing that this was not going to be it. Now, I'm a developer, a full-stack developer who can build full 
you know, I can build applications top to bottom, not as strong as I used to be on the front end, but like it works. <laughs> and what I was essentially trying to do was understand, okay, so there are a few risks to the business. And funny enough, Patrick McKenzie was one of the first people I pinged about this idea because was his work at Stripe Atlas and Stripe. And just in general, I knew that he would have an interesting opinion. And his thoughts were, okay, financial modeling is interesting, but it sounds like it could be transactional. Like somebody has a need, they do it, and then they're gone. And Mm. I knew I wanted to build a SaaS. (laughs) And so that was like, okay, that's a great point. Because a lot of times the use cases that would come up when I talked to people were, oh, yeah, I have this investor meeting or, oh, yeah, I have this fundraiser. Oh, yeah, I need to figure this thing out. And it sounded like it had a pretty finite shelf life of utility. Like People would come, they'd use it, and then they'd go away. I was like, okay, that's not a great recurring revenue business, <laughs> you know, because it sounds like something you could just sell for $50 one time, and then people don't ever need to keep paying you anything. So I recognized that pretty early on that engagement was a key risk to the business being sustaining recurring revenue model. And engagement is tricky because as much as you want to do, you know, mock-ups and kind of smoke tests and things that are not, you don't want to over-invest in engineering. It's very hard to de-risk engagement <laughs> with a paper mock-up or a screenshot or a prototype. Like, how do you know that they're going to come back to it unless they actually get to use something? So I basically spent those 18 to 24 months releasing what I knew were really <laughs> technically debt laden, let's put it that way, <laughs> versions of the product where all I cared was that the front end was um, communicating what I wanted it to. Like, this is what this is. This is what this does for you. If you click this button, this happens and it works. How it works, less important. <laughs> so I built a lot of basically throwaway versions of the product, which was expensive, but I felt like it was the key to knowing would people actually come back and reuse it? And I guess I'll pause there. That was my approach. And that was why I took that approach to de-risking or, or, or getting more valuable feedback from people than just like a conversation or an interview, right? And then I think I paired that with, do you use Excel? Do you use G Sheets? You know, how do you do this today? Um, but I, I learned... I, I just want to point out, I learned from both the usage of the early versions and the customer conversations. I love how you underscored there how the customer's intrinsic behavior and their intrinsic needs drive usage of the product. Like there's only so many sort of engagement hacks that you can do to make someone come back to a product. But like if they only need to raise money every 18 months, then there's nothing that you can do that will make them come back daily or weekly because their fundamental underlying need for the product is infrequent. And I'm reminded of the pain and frequency framework from Des Mm -hmm. Trainer, which, you know, he said, you know, that that most, you know, painful and frequent is sort of the best quadrant to be in because people have an underlying need for something and, they're annoyed by it, um, yep. but infrequent and painful can be kind of a danger zone. It can be a space for good products. You know, I think you know, I sort of think of like 
buying a house and getting a mortgage is very expensive and it's so complicated and it's you know expensive to get it wrong but it's very infrequent um yeah. but other things that are infrequent and painful you know can maybe not be a great business which it sounds like you had some indications that the underlying need for this what you were originally thinking would not be frequent and and therefore people would not have a subscription and so rather than staying with that and going down the path and then <laughs> a year from now being like oh my god i have this churn problem how do i keep yep. people to stay around you pivoted towards something that was more frequent yeah that's exactly right so i i, I often use the metaphor for the first version as like because i didn't know what else to build so i just bought i just built I built the version that I knew people would use at least that first time, right? Because I didn't, <laughs> didn't I, I knew it was going to fail. I felt like it was going to fail, but I was like, okay, but I, to figure out the bridge from here to there, like I have to take a step. And so I'm going to give them, I'm at least going to give them that initial thing and then just see, will they tell me like, you know what else would be great is if, you know, dot, like what else could I learn by doing this? Um, and so I built kind of that coin operated version. I call it like a vending machine for a financial forecast because my original thought was um yeah people need a forecast that was the value proposition how fast can i get them a forecast that that works and people use that but then again it was the churn problem it was the going away it was the it was hard to build you know that raving uh fan base <laughs> that you need to get something off the ground uh, because it just wasn't sustainable so i realized that to build a SaaS in this space I was going to have to um, figure out what did they do regularly. You know, like, okay, if you only close your books once a month or even your, maybe you don't even do that because you have a bookkeeper or accountant that does that for you. If you only raise money every 18 months, like what is it that you do that's close to this that is more frequent? And that's really how I got drawn into more of the modeling space, meaning like, okay, but what tell me about what you do regularly and if you look at what these founders made and so i would just have them show me what you made show me what you made i basically got into this thing of like you are spending time somewhere <laughs> where is that and what are you doing right um and they would show me these spreadsheets that they were making that were very um ephemeral like they were very they were throwaway products if you will they would make this like Hey, I got to figure out if I can afford this higher. And so they would just come into a G sheet, gsheets.new, right? Create a little spreadsheet and then use it for like a day and then go away. But then it's like, well, but how many of these do you have? I was like, oh, well, I mean, I probably do that, you know, once a once every other week, once a week, twice a month, like sometimes multiple times. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> so you don't build like a giant, you know, official forecast all the time. But you are using spreadsheets a lot and you are doing things with money in spreadsheets a lot. Like, tell me about that. <laughs> and that started to inform our strategy of, wait a minute, you know, there's really two customers here or two potential users. There's the CFO, if you will, or the analyst who builds those, you know, that's the founder. Even if it's a founder, that's a hat they wear where they do it. Like every once in a while, I have to get serious about finance and do this proper thing. And then there's the non-CFO founder, I just need something to solve my question or answer my question, mm. person, persona, who actually kind of does this work that they don't show to anyone else. They're really embarrassed. They know it's not, 
you know, they know it's not right, like with a capital R, right? But they're doing it a lot. <laughs> like they're doing this to make all the little decisions about pricing and metrics and goals and how much can I afford to pay this person? Like, I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> Turns out you're actually doing a lot of modeling. You just don't talk about it and you don't um you don't show it to anybody because you're embarrassed, right? It's this like dirty little secret almost that you have that you build these things and make decisions. Because of course you use numbers. Nobody doesn't use numbers, but like you just don't call this a financial model. <laughs> so that was a key insight, realizing that there were these two personas that were actually living within the same person and they had compartmentalized those very cleanly. But I was much more interested suddenly in the other <laughs> person, right? That's so interesting. So it, like, you know, the... the what you just showed there is i think it's such, such a key um a key point in activity based design which is the idea that we're designing for activities that people do and not for a specific person mm. and so in my book for example i talk about you know everything is a process and everything's an activity and the activity of you know you know for example one person might both have a Kerrig Pod coffee machine and have a French press, but they use the Kerrig Pod coffee machine when they're trying to get the kids to school in the morning and they're rushed and they're doing a million other things. And they use the French press on the weekend when they have a friend over to chat. And to That's them, <laughs> those are two very different activities that they're doing, but they're being yeah. done by the same person. And so if you design for the person, that mm. wouldn't make sense to you that they would own both. And yep. you would try to pigeonhole them into one, but really they're a person who's doing many different activities with many different goals. And so you have this one activity where I need to create financial models for official purposes to share them with other people, maybe for compliance reasons, maybe for sort of me and my official capacity reasons where other yep. people are reviewing this. And then there's also this activity of I need to make a decision that involves numbers and yeah. it's basically this sort of like there's the official activity and then there's the back of the envelope activity, mm -hmm. which is where this kind of I've heard people describe Summit as like a whiteboard that does math. Yes. And that is also where that activity comes in. And that's more so replacing those those millions of spreadsheets. And which other really fascinating thing about this um, is that. So often, as a core thing in Jobs to be Done, so often the competitors to a product is not actually another piece of software or another product product. It's somebody mm -hmm. doing it themselves. It's them making a spreadsheet. It's something in Google Docs. It's like them doing it by hand. Like that is as much a competitor as another piece of software is. Like there's, yep. there's so many pieces to yep. this. This is so great. Oh yeah, and and that's why you know I I try to explain like this is such a journey because you <laughs> we joke within the company like um, gosh we did you know we were so dumb a week ago <laughs> like how, we thought we were so smart but we knew nothing and when I started this journey um, you know you're just so in the dark and then you take these steps and you realize wait a minute wait a minute and so it is kind of a weird thing that you have this perennial sort of optimism as a founder that there's something here and you can. You want to figure out that if you're wrong, you're wrong. But at the same time, people are not telling you, you know, and this is the thing I 
think so key, like this is the skill to develop is people are not, what people don't say is as important as what they do say. And like learning to find out that, wait a minute, I, we, we were we were standing in this room, if you will, in your mind, talking about financial modeling. And here I am thinking that this is where the gold is. You know, this is where I'm going to get all my answers. And, and you're telling me next door, you've got like 12 spreadsheets with numbers and money in them and you're making decisions. <laughs> you didn't tell me about that. Like, how did I, how was I so close? But yet, like, you didn't, you know, like if I had just, if I had given up then, right, I would have missed the room that actually had all the gold in it, right? But it was literally connected but it, in their mind it was it was a different room it's like oh you're asking me about this but you know you're not asking about that and so that's what's so kind of vexing <laughs> or like in hindsight I, I just laugh because stumbling across the actual value is is something that you you part luck part skill and getting people to and it's and really hmm, I'll cut my rambling short by saying I think observation is more powerful in those cases than just question and answer because the real key for me was when I said show me show me what you have today. <laughs> and they had to say you know at that point they couldn't say like well I have nothing. But they did have to say oh well huh, let me open up this door over here and show you what I have today because I haven't been through a fundraiser and I haven't whatever but I've got something. And it's only when I said, show me that I got to see like, wait a minute, <laughs> there's this whole other room here that is exactly where I want to be. So we pivoted our strategy towards that other space and it's been very fruitful. And there's two really important skills for entrepreneurs there that you just sort of underscored without really stating them outright that I want to <laughs> I want to hone in on for a second. The yeah. first one was um basically thinking about how much of an idiot you were a week ago <laughs> and thinking about that and not being embarrassed about it but kind of being like delighted that you have learned something and that you have um added to your understanding of customers and and kind of being able to like not laugh at yourself, but almost sort of look at it with, with, with like this, this sort of, um, it's almost a pride in a way of being like, man, I was such an idiot six months ago. Like, and it's kind of delightful to have those moments of realizing how much you didn't know, but to be delighted by that and not <laughs> be embarrassed by that. And kind of as a company being able to say like, yeah, we had no idea what we're doing. And now we six months from now, we're also going to say we, we, you know, we, we right. don't know what we're doing. Right. Like, <laughs> but you know, we, we are aware of that. And then also the curiosity, mm. the combination of that approach to learning and being excited mm. by learning and looking for surprises and then allowing yourself to be curious when you talk to the customers and not just accepting what they're saying at face value, but saying, well, can you, you what's, what's in this closet over here? Like, do you, and just, but like, you can only get to that point if you have really built trust with them. Cause as you said earlier, they were embarrassed by doing this back of the envelope math. They were embarrassed totally. by their legions of spreadsheets of whether they can hire people. Cause it wasn't real official forecasts done by a BI team. Like maybe they, they're so small. They don't even have a BI team. Right. right. Like yep. exactly. Yep. So, um, 
And so they don't want to show this to anybody. But when you did the interviews, they trusted you enough, which tells me that the way you ran the interviews was you ran them really well because they were willing to let you in and poke into what you thought was a little closet, but it turned out they were like pulling out a books and a book and then the whole bookcase like turns around and it's like their secret lair full of spreadsheets. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Ones that they had made like yesterday and then this one from today and that one from a week ago. And I'm like, wait a minute. You're not just doing this like once every you're doing this like this is enough, guys. This is enough. You know, and like and what if you actually enjoy doing this? Like Oh, yeah. wow. You know? And so then it was like the opportunity to switch that negative emotion to a positive one and say, let's change embarrassment to fun and joy and just let's embrace the informality of it by letting you do it this way. But we're going to level you up. Like we're going to make it better and faster and take out the tedium. So that's where I went back into my forces of progress. And I said, okay, for this non-CFO founder, what are their thoughts? And, you know, they say stuff like, I'm embarrassed by my spreadsheet. Um, I'm not very good at this, right? They also love their spreadsheet though. Like they love playing in the spreadsheet. They do love to play. Exactly. So they like the (laughs) act of playing with it, right? It's almost (laughs) like a child who's like, I love to finger paint and create things. But then it's like the kid who's embarrassed to show his parents or teacher or whomever, like, well, I, you know, this is just for me. And so it was a very, like, private activity. And so I was like, wait a minute. So this is an opportunity to say, don't worry, we've got your back. Like, mm. we'll make sure the math is right. We'll run the, te- we'll do the tedious parts for you. We'll make it look really well designed without you having to do the work of making it look professional. And we'll even help you use smarter, you know, building blocks to do this work. So you might not, you still might not use it to do that fundraise or get that 409A valuation or whatever. Like you're still going to have to create a spreadsheet perhaps. But for all those little decisions, like that's where Summit wants to start. Like we want to be your tool for that, mm-hmm. right? And I think over time we can grow into the, oh, hey, you're really, you're really skilled at Excel or you're really good at G Sheets and you, you have total, you are like, really confident and proud of your work, we'll get to you. But like this then gives us that shape of adoption that that's okay. Like there's enough people. And in fact, there's more people. (laughs) It's a bigger market of people who are a little bit embarrassed, a little shy and a little um, inexperienced, frankly, with this stuff than the other one. And oh gosh, guess what team? Like the feature requirements are completely different. Like instead of having to build the enterprise incredible version that's going to win people away who are like veterans, right? We get to start with like the people who need the simplest things, you know, like that was the other exciting part is that, wow, you're just doing addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, basically, right? Like, okay, (laughs) great. You know, I don't have to like because I will say, you know, I don't want to leave this part out. Like there was a pivotal moment in those 18 months where I was, I hadn't decided yet that this is the way we were going to go. And I found myself torn trying to build more and more sophisticated tools and analysis for that really confident diehard user. And they were so demanding and so exacting. And I was just barely getting like, I'd say a B plus <laughs> with them. And it was causing me to almost have to go, okay, this is going to end up being a consulting business if I'm not careful because 
I'm going to end up having to do a lot of bespoke work, a lot of custom work for them. I'm going to end up, you know, having to get into the models. I mean, I have to become a data scientist. Like it was just so intense that I realized, okay, this is not the business I want to build either. Like this is just a bad fit from a, you know, I want a high margin self-serve SaaS business and I might come back to y'all, <laughs> but this is not where I'm going to start. I can't, I can't start here because there's only one of me <laughs> at that point. There was one of me. So, um, so I made the decision then, okay, we're going all in on the other side. And that also allowed us to say, wait a minute, you know, all these opinions we were baking into the product, all these best practices, all these things, we kind of need to like lower that, not come across as so proper and formal and the right way to do things. You know, you can only do things the right way, right? We actually need to be more invited. Like it changed our whole brand, right? We, we went through a rebrand where we said, instead of being serious and professional and disciplined looking like Wall Street kind of style branding, you know, traditional financial branding, we actually said, what if we were playful and inviting and inclusive and, you know, um, just warm <laughs> and friendly with our branding? That would actually resonate more with these people who treat this stuff as their playground, right? Like you said. And so it didn't just affect our product strategy, it, you know, really changed our whole positioning and brand identity once we realized that this was the this was the side of the person we wanted to go after, right? Mm. It's so interesting to me that there were multiple inflection points there where you really stopped to think like, is this the business we should build? Whether that's from a product perspective or from a, uh, you know, like a business perspective, like, is this the business I want to be in? And when those points came, it sounds like you were quite reflective about them. And, you know, you know, when you were at that point where you realized, you know, that, you know, that people were not doing the modeling you initially thought they were on the frequency that you hoped they would be, you could have been threatened by that discovery. And you mm. could have decided to, you know, give up or dig your heels in on it. And you didn't. And I think that it's such an important mental shift that needs to happen in order to really do customer research well is to be open to what you're going to hear and to follow it wherever it's going to take you. And so <laughs> you initially thought you were building a serious financial modeling tool for, you know, say startups, CFOs and founders that is polished and professional and they can give it to their boards or yes, whatever. Yep. And, um, and then it turns out you're actually making this fun private playground for them to make decisions in, in a way that helps them do it faster and maybe doesn't use all of the skills they about, about you know, um, you know, decision support systems they learned in business school, but instead mm -hmm. it's somewhere that's like safe and fun yeah. for them. Yeah. <laughs> that's a very different business than you thought you were building. And oh, yeah. <laughs> you allowed yourself to be, you know, sort of led by the customer, still applying your own, you know, analysis on top of that, still asking yourself, you know, of all of these different directions the customer is leading me in, 
or I could allow them to lead me in. You know, are those businesses I want to be in? Are those products I want to build? Is that is that the future I want for myself and for this company? And you allowed that answer to be no, right? You didn't just force yourself into it, but you said, no, and we're going to do something else because there's something else that's interesting here. Like there's still something here. Yeah. And maybe yep. that's not it, but there's something else. But allowing yourself to sort of just, just sort of to, to, to go with it, but still be steering it at the same time. And I don't, I don't know if I'm quite conceptualizing that very well. Yeah. No. Yeah, it describes, you know, it basically describes, I would say, December of 2020 and January of 2021, where we just realized that, you know, I realized that this was not the right segment. This was not the right value prop for the right, you know, hats that people were wearing. And we were able to charge more money, but it wasn't going to grow the way I wanted it to. So we rebuilt the darn thing again <laughs> um, for hopefully the last time in... Um, April, May, and June of this year, and then release the beta version in July. And it's really exciting now. We've had three months of growth. We've had um, three months of consecutive growth, which had never happened before, right? So revenue up each month <laughs> and retention. So we've actually had negative, net negative retention each month, um, which has never happened before either. So it turns out these people love it. It's doing what they want to. The price is right. And there's a lot of them. So now I'm like, this is great. <laughs> you know, <laughs> now we have now we have a business. And I would come it's funny, full circle. We now have some of our users who are founders saying, Hey, one of them, it blew my mind. He shared a screenshot of a Zoom call with his board where he did show Summit on the call which he never would have done with the G sheet that he created, right? But because it looks like rigor, it looks rigorous. It, it's actually doing justice to his thoughts. Like he's a super smart person. But I think the problem before was like a mismatch between, you know, the tools that he had to express his mm. logic and his thinking and his, his conceptual gifts, right? Like very, very talented, but like you put him in front of a spreadsheet and he would, you know, that just wasn't his native tongue, right? It wasn't where he wanted to, it wasn't the right tool for him to express those thoughts. Now that he and they have that, they are starting to share them more on tweets and with board meetings and like, which is great for us. But I think it's a testament to the fact that they're proud of their work now, right? And mm -hmm. that's really exciting for us. So, um, yeah, it's it's a journey. <laughs> it sounds like it has been, I mean, an incredible journey so far. Um, I'm I'm super excited to to see where this takes you. Um I you know, I've had a little bit of experience with uh with you know, with working with analysts myself, um, because I, I used to work in sort of the the financial space and and mm. definitely knew a lot of people who who loved their spreadsheets and you know like ha genuinely reveled in making discounted cash flows in excel and very <laughs> oh, proud man. of their macros and yeah. everything and um yeah yeah like Good just like and and i mean i feel like i have a little bit of that where i like you know genuinely enjoy like playing in a spreadsheet yeah. Um, and it's been so cool to see everything that you're sharing about different kinds of things that you could do with it, but also people doing it for their own personal budgeting and like, you know, yeah. founders, like founder financial situations are always so like weird and different and mm -hmm. like figuring out whether, you know, can I, 
can I do this? Can I send my kid to this school? Can I, you know, can I buy a house? You know, all of those sorts of different things. Um, Really, really exciting stuff. Um, And, and, you know, I noticed you tweeted recently that um, you feel like you're getting to that that point where it's really it's really starting to take off and, and have that um you know you know it, it you feel like you have found the product you have discovered yes, the product yes. which yeah. is the hardest part and that you're getting those rabid fans and actually i i told you this already but i was at a wedding a couple of weeks ago that's and crazy. the table I was sitting at, like the, you know, there are two guys who work in finance sitting across the table from me. And like one of them was like telling them like uh, about Summit and how awesome it was and how he had to get access to it and all this like stuff he had built with it. And, you know, and I was on the other <laughs> side of this huge table and I, I wasn't really part of that conversation. That's but I was amazing. like, wait, are they talking about what they think? I think, yeah, no, that's they unbelievable. Are. Yeah. yeah. Wait, <laughs> wow. Like, oh my God. Like the internet that's, in real life happening at this table at a wedding. That's uh, the founder's delight right there. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Amazing. But I think there's, I, I, I think we're going to be hearing a lot more of uh, people using Summit so. and stuff, stuff you can do with it. Um, it has been an absolute delight talking to you today. Thank you so Thank much you. for giving us some Great insight into your customer research and product discovery process. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, Michelle. This episode was also brought to you by Tella. Tella is a browser-based screen recorder for videos that showcase your work and share your knowledge. You can capture your screen, camera, and present slides. You can also customize your videos with backgrounds, layouts, and other video clips. Tella makes it easy to record updates for your teammates, launch videos for your followers, and demos for your customers. Record your next product demo with Tella. Visit tella.tv slash software social to get 30% off Tella Pro. Huge thanks to all of our listeners who've become software socialites and support our show. Chris from Chipper CI the daringly handsome Kevin Griffin, and Mike from Gently Used Domains, who has a nice personality, Dave from Recut, Max of Online or Not, Stefan from Talk to Stefan, Brendan Andrade of Brightbits, Team Tuple, Alex Hillman from The Tiny MBA, Rami from Hovercode and Rocket Gems, Jane and Benedict from UserList, Kendall Morgan, Ruben Gomez of Signwell, Corey Haynes of Swipewell, Mike Wade of Crowd Sentry, Nate Ritter of Roomsteals, Anna Mast of SubscribeSense, Jeff Roberts from Outseta, Justin Jackson, MegaMaker, Jack Ellis and Paul Jarvis from Fathom Analytics, Matthew from Appointment Reminder, Andrew Culver at Bullet Train, John Coster, Alex of Corso Systems, Richard from Stunning, Josh the Annoyingly Pragmatic Founder, Ben from ConsentKit, John from Credo and Editor Ninja, Cam Sloan, Michael Copper of Nusi Proposals, Chris from URL Box, Callie of Toslet, Greg Park from Trait Lab, Adam from Rails Autoscale, Lana and Alex from Recapsi, Joe Mazzalotti of RailsDevs.com, Proud Mama from Applenet LLC, Anna from Cradle, Monsef from Ruby on Mac, Steve of Be Inclusive, Simon Bennett of Snapshooter Backups, Josh Smith of Keyhero.io, Jesper Christensen of Form Backend, Matthew of Works Cited, Chris of JetBoost.io, Daryl Shannon of Docomatic, Larabelles, a community for Larabelle developers underrepresented due to their gender. Brendan from Feederloop, 
Pascal from Sharpen.Page, Lynn Romick from Convini, Arvid Call, James Sowers from Castaway.fm, Jessica Malnick, Damian Moore of Audio Audit Podcast Checker, Eldon from Nodal Studios, Mitchell Davis from RecruitKit.